0: Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. I'm not very good at introductions. I've been informed that this weekend. But I do want to introduce to you um, a man who's really opened up his heart and friendship towards me and towards Sam and towards us, our churches. He literally didn't know who we were when he came. He felt the Spirit of God say, yes, a peace from the Lord, go and minister. And for, because of that, I am additionally grateful to God. Uh, because R.T. Kendall is a man of God who is very accomplished in life and in ministry. Um, he's got academic degrees. He's got his Ph.D. from Oxford. He, he pastored a church for 20 years, a very profound and noteworthy church in London called Westminster Chapel, and uh, was a prophetic teacher there. Has Had his heart wide open to God all of his life. I don't know about all of his life, but God has really continued to stretch him and draw him into great things, into charismatic things, into things of the Word. And his life is this expression of being passionate for God's Word and being passionate for God's Spirit. And so as he comes and speaks to us today, uh, an incredible, prophetic, profound message, a core message to God's church about forgiveness and what place forgiveness should be in our lives. And uh, I'll let him explain what it means. But he's got a word from God, and you're going to be blessed today. And so I'm just so grateful to have you here, R.T. His son is with him, T.R. Kendall as well. They travel together. So please welcome him as he comes and open up your heart.
1: Thank you. Thank you. You said you couldn't do well at introductions. You went sort of over the top. In fact, I'm not sure what to say now. You, um, you remind me of a friend of mine from Pennsylvania who was introduced to the, this large sales gathering as the man from Texas who had made $200 million in oil. And when he heard the introduction, he panicked. He thought, well, what am I going to do? Well, he said to himself, there's only one thing to do, and that's to stand up and tell these people the truth. He said, folks, before I get into my talk, I'm not from Texas. I'm from Pennsylvania. And second, the money was not in oil. It was in coal. And third, the figure was not $200 million. It was $200,000. Fourth, it wasn't me. It was my brother. Fifth, he didn't make it. He lost it. It's been great to be here. It's true. I honestly knew nothing about you. That is the truth. I do now, and I feel uh, privileged to be here. And have especially enjoyed being with David and Sam and other pastors, leaders. And it's been a delightful time. And I'm honored to be here today. Uh, we now live in Tennessee. I am from Kentucky, but we now live in Tennessee, and. Um, our son, TR's with us. Uh, all right, if I mention one or two books, we did bring some books, and they're out there. And uh, I don't know if we brought too many or not enough, but I don't want to take them back. So I'm going to stay here and sign them, and we're going to have police at the door. You cannot leave until we sell all these books. <laughs> I've got uh, uh, good news. You can take a signed copy of any of my books and go to any Starbucks within a hundred mile radius of Chicago, show them a signed book, and give them $3.95 and you can get a cappuccino. (laughs) You're a lucky day. I don't do this for everybody. Would you open your Bibles to the book of Genesis? Book of Genesis, chapter 45. David, it's in the Old Testament. (laughs) Sam, 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 help him. first book of the Bible. (laughs) Genesis chapter 45. I tell you what, before I start reading, I think it would be good if I took a moment uh, to bring you up to speed as to where we are in the book of Genesis here. It's right at the high water mark of the life of Joseph. Uh, And there may be a new Christian. You don't know the story of Joseph. And uh, let me take four or five minutes just to explain, and then I'll, I'll read. Joseph is now prime minister of Egypt, and he's going to make himself known to his 11 brothers. You say, well, if they're brothers, why would he need to make himself known to them? Well, it's because... They haven't seen each other for 22 years. Joseph knows exactly who they are, but they don't know who he is. He is speaking through an interpreter. He's learned Egyptian. But 22 years before, those brothers did something very evil. They were going to kill him. They decided not to kill him, but they sold him to the Ishmaelites, uh, never expecting to see him again. Now, you couldn't blame the brothers for their jealousy and their anger. Uh, Their father, who is Jacob, had uh, 12 sons. And uh, Jacob was not a good father. The worst thing a parent can do is to show favoritism. And Jacob made no bones about it. Joseph was his favorite child. Made him a coat of many colors. The only thing worse than giving it was to wear it, and Joseph wore it in front of all of his brothers, didn't seem to bother him, strutted around in that coat of many colors, and in addition to this, he had a particular gift, it was a gift of God, had to do with dreams, and prophetic dreams. You may think, well, why would God do that to him? He's already spoiled, he's he's born with a silver spoon in his mouth, and surely God should spread out gifts. And it's not fair that Joseph would have this gift. But he did. And God does that. And he gives us dreams. He gives us gifts. He gives us opportunities. We don't deserve them. And Joseph certainly didn't. But the thing is. that These dreams that Joseph had. Indicated that one day. The eleven brothers would bow down to him. Now the problem is. He told this to his brothers. You know, just because God shows you something doesn't mean you're supposed to tell it. And uh, I think God would talk more to us if we could keep quiet about it. Uh, But Joseph couldn't. And he said, oh, had another dream. This time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Made his brothers so angry. You didn't need to be Sigmund Freud to interpret the dream. Now, here's the irony. The dreams were of God. And what I'm about to read is the moment that these dreams are actually being fulfilled. Joseph always thought that God gave him those dreams so that one day he could look at those brothers and say, gotcha. And he could throw the book at them and make them squirm and pay for what they had done. He always thought that. But what happened was that God postponed the fulfillment of the dreams to the day that it would be a different Joseph. And by the time the dreams were fulfilled, it's a new Joseph. And when he thought he was going to throw the book at these men... And now that it's actually being fulfilled, he starts to cry. His shoulders shake. He sobs. And so we begin the reading. Genesis 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you, to preserve for you a remnant on earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this his most holy and infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Holy Spirit to be upon every mind present, that their perception of what I say will be received as you intend and applied as you intend your word to be accepted, and cleanse my tongue, that I'll be a transparent vehicle to convey everything you want said nothing you don't want said. I pray that this may be a life-changing word, that every single person leaves this place never to be the same again. And may this word bring great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The message that I believe I am to bring to you today was born in what was at the time the darkest hour that my wife Louise and I had ever gone through. It was when I was minister of Westminster Chapel. We were there for exactly 25 years to the day. And uh, they were the worst of times those years, and they were the best of times. But we went through the greatest trial we'd ever known while there, and I had become very angry and bitter That this could happen. We didn't go to England for that. How could God allow this to happen? And how could they do this? An old friend from Romania. His name is Joseph Tsung. Happened to be in London. Because I knew he wouldn't tell anybody. I decided to tell Joseph what they did. Now if I'm totally honest with you. The reason I told Joseph. Is that I thought he would put his arm around me. And say, R.T., you ought to be angry. Get it out of your system. He just looked at me and said, is there anything more? I said, no, that's it. I wasn't prepared for what followed. If I could narrow 25 years in London down to 15 minutes, they would turn out to be my finest hour. It's when Joseph Tson looked at me and said, R.T., You must totally forgive them. Until you totally forgive them, you will be in chains. Release them, and you will be released. Nobody had ever talked to me like that in my life. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. I said, Joseph, I just remembered. I didn't really tell you everything. Listen to this. He said... R.T., and I can now hear him in his Romanian accent. You must totally forgive them. (laughs) For until you totally forgive them, you will be in chains. Release them, and you will be released. I said, Joseph, I can't. He said, You can, and you must. It was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Almost certainly the hardest thing you will ever have to do. And that is when you let your enemy off the hook. You totally forgive them and even prove it by asking God to bless them. And so Jesus said, bless your enemy, pray for them. He didn't mean that you just say, Lord, I commit them to thee. You're hoping that God will kill them. (laughs) But you're told to pray for them to be blessed. We've all got a story to tell. If I told you my story, I could win you over. If I heard your story, I would probably blush to think that I suffered it all. There's probably someone here. You were abused as a child. I wasn't. Perhaps someone has walked all over you and maligned you. Perhaps your spouse was unfaithful to you. Perhaps you've been lied about and everybody believes the lie. And there's no way you can defend yourself. I remember receiving a letter from the north of England... From a lady who described what their son-in-law had done to their daughter and their grandchildren. Uh, She was from Pontefract. You know where that is. And at the end of the letter, she said, do I have to forgive him? And it wasn't easy to write back to say, yep, you have to forgive him. Here's the thing. The greater the suffering, the greater the anointing. Now, I only have one hope that you might take this sermon on board. And that is, just maybe, if someone here, you want a greater anointing than anything in the world. If that should be you, then you've come to the right place. Now, if anointing doesn't matter to you, you're going to be bored for the next half hour or so. But I can tell you, if there's anyone here, you want all of God you can get. This is the way forward. You can go on a 40-day fast And be no closer to total forgiveness if you don't do business with God in that length of time. You're going to have somebody lay hands on you and you hit the floor. But if you're bitter when you fall, you'll be bitter when you get up. The way forward is when you let them off the hook. Total forgiveness does not mean that you approve of what they did. Jesus found a woman in adultery and says, go and sin no more. He forgave her, but it didn't mean he approved. Total forgiveness is an act of the will. You make the choice to do it. And so I've come today with this particular message. Now, why should you do it? Well, there may be someone here that you, let's say you have suffered more than anybody in this area. More than anybody in Illinois, or Indiana, and we heard your story, we all agree, no one has suffered like you. And you may feel that because you've suffered more than anybody else, that that lets you off the hook, and in your case, you don't have to forgive that. I just want you to know that the greater the suffering, the greater the anointing, and if you have suffered more than anybody else, it means that you have a promise of blessing That the person in front of you doesn't have. Because they haven't suffered like you have. You've got a promise of blessing. That the person next to you. They don't have that promise. Because they haven't suffered like you have. And at the moment you may ask. Why would this happen to me? Do you know what I can tell you? That what happened to us. I can now tell you under a lie detector. The best thing that ever happened to us. Literally, the best thing that ever happened to us. How could you come to this place? I don't say you'll do it by tomorrow afternoon. But I promise you this. If you can do what Joseph did. You will come to the place. And you will see the day that you're actually thankful for it. Actually thankful for it. But that won't happen until something happens to you. Well, now, why should you do this? Well, for one thing, your health could be at stake. Any medical person will tell you that holding a grudge is injurious to your health. It can lead to high blood pressure, kidney disease, arthritis. I'm not saying that if you have these, this is why, but sometimes it is. And could it be that through this instead of having somebody lay hands on you to heal you, that you get healed just because you forgive. The physiological process is reversed, and you get well. As a matter of fact, about eight months ago, I had a lady come up to me, and I I could... I'm so sorry I didn't write it down. I do not know whether it was in, in South Africa, whether it was in England, or somewhere here in America. I wish I'd written it down and got her name. She came up to me and said, when you were here two years ago and you preached your sermon, total forgiveness, in the middle of your sermon, as I forgave the person, I was instantly healed. That's two years ago. And she just came to tell me that. And I said, well, I'm happy to hear that. God bless you. And I realized, you know, two months later, why didn't I write that down? it's an unusual story but the thing is paul the apostle put it like this 2 corinthians chapter 2 verse 11 and funnily enough this is not even in my book total forgiveness he said another reason for forgiveness is to keep from being outsmarted by the devil let me point out something to you when you hold a grudge when you point the finger when you cannot forgive what they did, you didn't mean to, but in that moment, you gave Satan an entry point, and he walks right in. And you wonder why you're angry all the time, bitter, complaining, can't be thankful. Read the Bible, you get you get nothing out of it. You have to make yourself go to church, and you're just irritable all the time. What happens is, when you hold a grudge, you give the devil an opportunity to get in and he takes full advantage of it the thing is it's not that you need an exorcism but i can tell you something an exorcism can take place in this very place before this service is over if you will do what i suggest that you do because the devil cannot reside in a heart where there's no bitterness he has to go And you will chase him away today. Because we're going to come to a place in the service that you make a decision. In fact, in roughly 20 minutes from now, I'm going to bring you to decision time. And I am going to ask you, if when I finish preaching, you accept that you haven't totally forgiven... Would you do it then? I'm I'm sure if I asked for a show of hands, how many of you forgiven, hands would go up. And you would mean that. But I want to make a proposition. If I were to show in the next 20 minutes that you haven't forgiven after all, would you then do it? All right. The question is, how do you know you've done it? How do you know you've totally forgiven? Proof number one. You do not tell anybody what they did to you. Listen to this. When Joseph could no longer control himself before his attendants, he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. Now picture this. Here's the prime minister of Egypt. Joseph, his interpreter, his aides, his cabinet, and the eleven brothers. And all of a sudden Joseph says, Out, everybody out. Well, they don't know why, but they all file out. I can imagine the interpreter hangs around, says, You're gonna need me. He says to the interpreter, Out. And then behind closed doors, Joseph speaks to his brothers in Hebrew. And says, I'm Joseph. I'm Joseph. They're terrified. Why did he make everybody leave? It's because he's going to persuade those 11 brothers to come and live in Egypt. There's a famine in the land. The famine's going to last for a good while. And so he's bringing his brothers and all the family to live in Egypt. He wants to make sure nobody in Egypt knows what they did to him 22 years before. He knows that he is a hero in Egypt. He wants his brothers to be heroes. And so he makes sure that no one knows. He knows if the word leaks out, every Egyptian to a man would hate those men. Which is what he used to want. There was a day when Joseph wanted everybody to hate them. But he's a new Joseph. And so behind closed doors. He reveals his identity. Nobody will ever know what they did. Why is it when somebody hurts us. We get on the phone to tell what they did. We can't bear the thought. That anybody would like them. Anybody would admire them. We can't stand it. We want people to know what they're like. What they did. So everybody will hate them. Proof number one. You don't tell anybody. What they did. Two exceptions. One. You need to tell one other person. For therapeutic reasons. Pour your heart out to your pastor, elder, somebody who won't tell. You can tell one. I told Joseph's own. You can't tell two. You can't tell ten. You can't tell 500. Tell one. The other exception. We had a lady come into the vestry at Westminster Chapel and said, They found my rapist, and they want me to testify in a court of law. I said, Well, you must. Well, you've taught me to forgive, and I've forgiven him. I said, I believe you. But he's a danger to society. It's no personal grudge now. So she did testify. But what's the real reason we tell it? We don't want anybody to admire them. So we gang up. Get everybody against them. What about the verse that says vengeance is mine. I will repay. Yes Lord I know about that verse. But you are so slow. You want to do God's work for him? I want to tell you something. When you try to vindicate yourself and you try to do God's work and punish them, you don't do one-tenth what he would have done. He just gets off the case and lets you get on with it. You'll never know what he would have done if you'd have just been quiet. Don't rob God of the privilege of vindicating. It's, It's what he does best. How do you know you've totally forgiven? You don't tell anybody what they did. Proof number two, you don't let them be afraid of you. You see, these men were scared scared to death. They were, they were terrified, which is the way Joseph used to want them to feel. He longed for the day those brothers would be scared of him. And now they are. Handed to him on a silver platter are 11 men terrified. You know what Joseph does? He says, come close to me. Come close to me. He just wanted to love on them. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. So when you haven't forgiven, you want that person to be nervous and afraid. You see, husbands, wives play this game. Keep the other nervous. Keep the other guessing. Keep the other in fear. You know, this message could heal any marriage on the rocks in this place by sundown today. If both of you will stop pointing the finger. Love keeps no record of wrongs. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 5. Why do we keep records? Well, to prove that we've paid. Why do we keep a record of wrong? So we can throw up what they did and keep them nervous. Let me give you some advice. Tear up that record of wrongs. Burn it. It can never be referred to again. Don't wait for her to do it. Don't wait for him to do it. You do it because it's right. When you point the finger, you... May not have known it, but you were in that moment being the devil. Because the devil is the accuser. He's the one that points the finger. Stop it. How do you know you have totally forgiven? You don't tell what they did. You don't let them be afraid of you. Third, you don't even let them feel guilty. Listen to this. Joseph said, I am your brother verse 4 the one you sold into Egypt yeah it's me and now verse 5 do not be distressed do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here he doesn't even want them to be angry with themselves he wants them to be able to forgive themselves have you ever said to somebody well I forgive you for what you've done but I hope you feel bad about it you're wanting them to look uncomfortable And you want to make them a little bit more miserable. And so you want to make sure they're sorry for what they did. Let me tell you something. Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they've done. You see, what gets your goat is that the people don't know how hurt you are. So you go up to them and make sure they know. By the way, when this sermon is over today, don't walk across the room and go up to somebody and say, "Well, now in the light of R.T.'s sermon, I forgive you. <laughs> They're going to say, "For what? You'll say, "Well, you know what? Well, I don't, oh, you do. I don't. Well, you do. I don't, well, you should. Now you got to fight, which is what you wanted. Because you can't bear the thought that they don't know how hurt you are. Whenever you go up to somebody and say, I forgive you for what you've done, because you haven't, it's your way of wanting to just stick the sword into their sides. Make sure they know how hurt you are. Listen to me it takes minimal grace to forgive when they're sorry, it takes a lot of grace. When they don't even know what they've done. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know. You say, well, you don't have to forgive them until they're sorry. Really? Where did you get that? You see, this is what we come up with to keep from having to forgive. When they are sorry, I'll forgive them. You see, that's not the way it is in the New Testament. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know. If you wait for them to be sorry, chances are you will go to your grave in bitterness. And don't be surprised if the people you have to forgive are, how shall I say this, known as godly. Mm. Those close to you, those you've looked up to. You've heard the poem, Living with the Saints Above. Oh, that will be glory. Living with the Saints Below. Well, that's another story. (laughs) How do you know you've totally forgiven? You don't tell what they did, you don't let them be afraid of you, you don't let them feel guilty. And fourth, You let them save face. Now that's an oriental expression. In Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, he has a section, let the other person save face. It means that you protect their fragile ego. You act like you don't even know what they did. Instead of rubbing their noses in it, you overlook it and give them a way out so they can even feel good. Listen to Joseph. He says, don't be angry with yourselves. He says, for two years now, there's been famine in the land. For the next five years, there's going to be famine. God sent me ahead of you to preserve you. So then it wasn't you who sent me here, but God. You talk about giving them a chance to save face. They can't. They can't believe it. This is too good to be true. The very Joseph that they were going to kill is now saying to them, God was behind all of it. You didn't send me here. God did it. I can imagine these brothers looking at each other. Asher, Sister Naphtali. Naphtali, did I hear right? We didn't do it. God did it. Judas says to Dan, Dan, he's saying we didn't do it, God did it. And Joseph said that it's exactly right. And they can't believe. They can't believe their luck. They can't believe that it was all this good. In other words, it was too good to be true. By the way, that's when you know you've heard the gospel, when it was too good to be true. Until the word that you heard was too good to be true, you haven't heard the gospel yet. But when you say, that's too good to be true, that's when you heard it. Let's find out whether you've heard the gospel. Do you know for sure if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Do you? Do you? Do you? You know for sure? If you were to die today, would you go to heaven? And if you were to stand before God, and you will... And he were to ask you. And he might. Why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Suppose it's the real thing. And you're standing before God. And you don't have anybody to lean on now. Looking around what he's going to say. What would you say? You won't have your mother, your father, your best friend. You're right there before God. And it's you. And eternity lasts a long time. And he says, why should I let you in? And there's only one answer. Give the wrong answer. You have to go someplace else. You don't want to go to there. What would you say? You know what we might have done? David passed out sheets of paper as they came in today. Imagine this. This is going to add five minutes to my sermon. I did not plan on this. Give me Five minutes grace. Imagine you've got a sheet of paper in front of you. Go along with me. Write down on that sheet of paper in your mind. What you would say. When God says to you. Why should I let you into my heaven? Start writing. What would you say? After everybody's got a chance. Send your sheets of paper to the end of the row ushers collect them and now I've got uh, four or five hundred sheets of paper here would you like to hear some of the answers well here's one it says uh, I believe I will go to heaven because I've lived a very good life I would say I believe you but that won't get you to heaven here's another well I, I've, I've absolutely uh, tried to, to do my best be nice to everybody I believe you. That won't save you. Well, here's another. I was brought up in a Christian home. Good. That means you had a head start. But that won't save you. Here's another. I was baptized. Sorry, that won't save you. Here's another. I was baptized by a Baptist preacher. <laughs> you, my friend, are lost as a goose. <laughs> Here's another. I've kept the Ten Commandments. Well, you're a liar for one thing. (laughs) Here's another. I've lived by the Sermon on the Mount. You're a bigger liar. You might like to know the more space you need on that sheet of paper, the worse shape you're in. Two words will do nicely. Jesus died. That's it. Really, R.T.? Mm-hmm. Jesus died. We sang it earlier. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. I've got one hope of going to heaven. The blood of Jesus. Plus nothing. I'm going to say something to you. I don't care who you are. But if you wrote on that sheet of paper, anything other than trusting Jesus' death on the cross, the equivalent, his blood, what he did for you, if you wrote down anything other than that, I would not want to be in your shoes for anything in the world. But we can sort that out right now. I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. My sermon's not over. Got about 12 minutes left after I get this part over. I did not plan to do this. I feel I'm supposed to do it. If you did not write down on that sheet of paper that you're trusting Jesus' death on the cross, I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. You can say it in your heart, not out loud. But if you put the wrong answer down, say this right now. Lord Jesus Christ, I need you. Tell him that. I want you. I'm sorry for my sins. Wash my sins away by your blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit into my heart. As best as I know how, I give you my life. That's it. Did you pray that prayer? Did you? Question. Are you ashamed that you prayed that prayer? Why do you ask, R.T.? Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. Jesus said, if you'll confess me before a man, I'll confess you before my father. 30 seconds from now, not yet, but in 25 seconds, if you prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you to stand. You say, in front of all these people, yes. Well, that's kind of scary. Mm. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'm not going to ask you to make a speech. I'm not going to ask you to join this church. But if you prayed the prayer, just by standing, you'll show that you're unashamed. Five, four, three, two, one. If you prayed that prayer, stand to your feet right now and stay standing. Stand up. You prayed that prayer. Stay standing. Remain standing. Remain standing. Okay. Stay where you are. Stop clapping. but st- Remain standing, but stop clapping. David, come here. I just want you to look over all these people. These are your flock. Some you will know. Some you may not. Now, there are two kinds of people that just stood. One, You never did this before, never prayed this prayer before, in which case that means you've just been born again, so happy birthday. The other category, it could be you were saved before today, but the way I put it gave you clarification. It's called assurance of salvation, and you now know for sure that you're saved. In either case, you did the right thing. You can be seated. How do you know you've totally forgiven? You don't tell anybody what they did. You don't let them be afraid of you. You don't let them feel guilty. You let them save face. Proof number five, you protect them from their darkest secret. Chances are you know something about somebody that if you were to tell it, you could destroy them. Maybe you hold this over their heads and one day, I'm going to tell what I know about you. Can you imagine Jesus doing that? Assure that person, no one will ever know what was their darkest secret. These brothers are terrified now that they find out that Joseph is alive, that that Jacob, their dad, will find out the truth. That they took that coat of many colors off his back, dipped it in blood, laid it before old Jacob, and made Jacob think he was dead. They'd rather die than for that secret to get out. They'd rather die. But you see, God doesn't want to embarrass you. We've all got skeletons in the closet. Let that person know you will never tell. God won't. Proof number six, how do you know you're totally forgiven? Total forgiveness is a life sentence. What that means is you've got to keep doing it. It's not enough to do it today you got to do it again tomorrow. You gotta do it next week. Six months from now. Two years from now. Ten years from now. Why it is? I'll tell you why. Because forgiving them once doesn't solve it. That's the beginning. You say, Well, I forgave once, that's enough. No. You've got a faulty doctrine of sanctification. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Seventeen years later, Jacob died. And the brothers come running to Joseph, panicking. See, Joseph, before dad died, he told us to tell you, please forgive us for what we did. And Joseph starts to cry. He says, what's the matter with you, man? I told you 17 years ago I forgave you. I forgave you then. I forgave you now. Don't worry. You see, what will happen is you do it once and you think that's good. But six months from now at two o'clock in the morning, devil will wake you up and remind you of what you did or what they did. And you get all churned up and you lose the joy. You just have to. It's a life sentence. You have to forgive them every day to show that you really mean it. Finally, how do you know you've totally forgiven? It's when you bless them. So that's what Joseph said in Genesis 47. Uh, sorry, Genesis chapter 50, when they came 17 years later. He said, don't worry, I won't look after you. I will bless you. You see, this is the proof, the supreme evidence that you've totally forgiven is when you pray for them and you actually ask God to bless them. I never will forget, coming in to Westminster Chapel one Sunday morning, those days the minister led the worship, we were singing the great English hymn, Come my soul. Forgot the words. Besides, I didn't want to make you homesick, Sam. As we were singing, I saw a woman out there that has done irreparable emotional damage to one of our children. And I lost it. And I could hardly sing. I just mouthed the words. I thought, how could she even be here? Then was scripture reading time. I hardly could read the scripture. Then i had to sing another hymn. Then the pastoral prayer. I don't know how I got through the prayer. All I could do is think of that person's. What saved me was offering time. We sat next to the pulpit as they took the offering. God entered into a conversation with me. Now, this doesn't happen to me every day. And I don't say this was verbatim, but it's pretty close. It's like this. R.T., you want to see revival in Westminster Chapel. Is that right? Yes, Lord. Good. How much do you want revival? Oh, a lot. Which would you rather have, revival or for me to send judgment on that woman out there? Revival. Good. Pray for her. I said, I pray for her. He said, do it again. I pray for her. No, that's not good enough. Ask me to bless her. Bless her. (laughs) Say it again. Bless her. And what if I take you seriously and I answer your prayer and I bless her? Lord, you wouldn't do that, would you? (laughs) But that's the point. And I could not have preached. I could not have got through it had I not started saying, Lord, bless her. Bless her killing me bless her and to prove that I meant it I had to put her on my prayer list the next day and pray every day that God will bless her but I'll tell you something listen to me something happened to me people ask me how come you've written all these books how do you do it they think it's my brain or my education wrong There are people more educated than I am. They haven't written books. What is it? It's the anointing. I now have more thoughts that come to me. I can't write the books fast enough. I don't say you will become an author. But you have an anointing. You have a gifting. There's something God wants you to do. You won't be able to see it. Until you become like Joseph. Perhaps... You are one of those who say, you know, God told me he was going to use me one day. And you cry out, how long? How long? How long? How long? I've come today to tell you how long. As long as it takes to bring you to the place that Joseph got to. And he blessed them. I'm going to ask that nobody leave now two minutes we're not going to need any music we made a deal or I put a proposition to you I don't know if you accepted it but I said we would come to decision time and you would have an opportunity to forgive and we are now there it's decision time In roughly 30 seconds from now, I'm going to ask you if you're prepared to forgive them totally, to stand up in front of all these people. Don't stand unless by standing you're prepared to say, I won't tell what they did. I won't let them be afraid of me. I won't let them feel guilty. I will protect them from their darkest secret. I will do this as long as I live and I will bless them. If you're prepared to forgive them on those conditions, five, four, three, two, one. Stand to your feet if you're prepared from this moment to enter into this covenant. Remain standing. You know, I've preached this sermon all over the world, Australia to South Africa, Alaska to Florida. First thing I do is to see if the pastor stands. Because I know he needs to. Some do, some don't. You did. Well done. I'm going to wait 15 seconds. Anybody else? Don't miss this moment. Seek the Lord while he may be found. He's present. Don't miss this moment. It may not come around again like this. Good? Good. Now, to prove you really meant it, I'm going to ask you to go to the nearest aisle and walk down to the front. You are in the balcony, take an extra half a minute. Go to the nearest door. Come down. You over here, all of you, leave where you're standing, come quickly, we're going to pray. Come right now, leave where you are, come down here and pray. Tell you what, walk up to the third level and leave room for people behind you. Good, they're coming out of the balcony, that's fine. As you're coming, let me just say that what you're doing now is the easy part. The hard part will be one hour from now, and you think, why did I do that? (laughs) The hard part will be tomorrow morning after a cup of coffee. You say, I can't believe I did that, what came over me. Now look, we haven't prayed yet. You can still get out of it. Because we're going to enter into a prayer covenant. In the Old Testament, every covenant was ratified by blood. That's how serious it was. This is a no joke thing. We're going to enter into a covenant. Now, why did I make you all come down to the front? It looks like, you know, there's not room for everybody. Let me tell you why I did it. So you will never forget this moment. We're going to enter into a covenant. And this way you won't forget it. I'm going to give you words to say. Say them out loud this time. If you mean them. If you don't mean them, don't say them. You can fool me, but you can't fool God. And I'm not going to look to see who's praying anyway. It's not between you and me. It's between you and God. So notice carefully what you're saying. Everybody is ready to do it. Lord Jesus Christ, I need you. I I want you. you. I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for my my bitterness. bitterness. Wash me by your blood. blood. I forgive them. I I will not tell what they did. I I won't let let them be afraid. I won't let them feel guilty. I will let them save face. I will will protect them from their darkest secret. I will will keep doing this every day. day. And I will bless them. I bless them them now. now. You bless them. You You forgive them. them. I I set them free. I set them free. I set them free. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you for your patience with me. In Jesus' name. Amen. One last thing. When you slip, and you will, don't let the devil say, well, you've blown it. Doesn't matter now. No. As soon as you forget and tell what they did or point the finger or don't let them save face. Don't let the devil take advantage of that moment. Just say, Lord, I'm sorry. And renew it right then. Renew it right then. And I'm going to tell you something. Eye has not seen nor ear heard. Neither have entered in the heart of man the things that God has prepared for you that will keep this up. You see, it's an act of the will. Some get an instantaneous burst of joy. Others, it's two days later. For some, they say, I'm just doing it. I never felt anything great except I knew I had to do it. It's the secret to my anointing. I'm telling you, it's not Oxford. This is it. And God will do it for you in the area in which you're called.